It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. Well, hello. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening and subscribing. It's very easy to do if you haven't already. You go to thepetecalendarshow.com. You click subscribe and then you are subscribed. And then the shows come directly to your smartphone or your tablet and you don't even have to do anything. It just shows up. I'm just in your pocket on your phone. It's not weird at all. Um, Want to thank patrons of the program. They help make the show possible. Folks like David, Dan, Joshua, Christian, Stephanie, Casey, Mary, Ted, Elizabeth, Kathleen, Matt, Jason. Thanks so much for uh, keeping the show going. I do appreciate it. Uh, And uh, you can become a patron as well, and you get exclusive content like our weekly live streams, um, as well as the bumper stickers and uh, access to the Patreon page, which has all of the prep work. You get advanced... uh, uh, audio clips that show up there before they come down uh, in the uh, the normal subscriber stream. So uh, head on over, thepetecalendarshow.com. So June 15th should be celebrated as Golden State Independence Day. Now, hear me out. This does have a tie to North Carolina, okay? Because it is on this date, June 15th, 2021, More than 15 long months after he issued his first imperial order limiting the movements of an ostensibly free people, Governor Gavin Newsom reopened the state. Um, I'm sure it's completely coincidental that it occurred uh, as uh, they crossed the threshold to have the recall. (laughs) Right. I'm sure this has nothing at all to do with those efforts underway to unseat him. Anyway. Uh, This is the editorial board at Issues and Insights. They say it is arguable that no other state was more restrictive during the coronavirus pandemic. In fact, WalletHub ranked California 45th in fewest COVID-19 restrictions. So it's kind of a backwards way there. So they, they were measuring, you know, so if you were at the top of the list, you had the fewest restrictions and California was 45th. So in other words, they were the, what, fifth most restricted state. But because California has like 40 million people, more people than the five other states and the District of Columbia that were more restrictive than California was, um, a case can be made that its lockdown rules were more stringent because they affected a greater number of people. This is the argument from the editorial board uh, at Issues and Insights. While not criticizing Gavin Newsom directly, University of California, San Francisco's infectious disease expert, Dr. Monica Gandhi, pointed out in December that the state was unique in that the lockdown came off as arbitrary and not really data driven. She also mentioned that unlike other states, the California system was quite strict and did not allow economic relief and social relief in between waves of the outbreak. Even as Newsom has lifted the color-coded tier system that had for months dictated people's lives to say that the state is now fully reopening, even this is misleading, though. Why? Glad you asked. Well, the governor is retaining his emergency powers. Ah, does this now sound familiar? You've, yeah, you've now detected the, the connection to North Carolina. 
the governor is retaining his emergency powers in case he decides to reinstate his rules. And the state is also requiring the unvaccinated to continue to wear masks, treating them as if they are lepers, assuming they're sick without evidence. This in a country where in criminal law, people are presumed innocent until proven guilty. Unless, of course, you know, you're like boosting under a thousand dollars worth of merchandise from a Walgreens in San Francisco, then just, you know, clear the path for that fella. (laughs) You seen that video guy on a bicycle with a with a big black trash bag and he's just taking stuff off the shelves, putting it in the bag. And then he just rolls his way on the bike through the the crowd of people that had gathered to watch him steal all of this stuff, including apparently a security guard. And they just watch him roll through and he leaves. And that's it. That's San Francisco nowadays. And I wonder why Walgreens has closed up all of their stores in San Francisco. It's crazy. Anyway, Dr. Ayal Shahar, a University of, uh, sorry, University of Arizona professor emeritus of public health, makes the case that, quote, the lockdowns and the panic were unsubstantiated, prevented nothing, and caused indescribable damage to society. Sweden's statistics tell us unequivocally that in much of the world, lives have been lost and livelihoods destroyed in vain. Shahar says, we can even look at comparisons on our own country. Seven day rolling averages of infection rates peaked at 114 cases per 100,000 in California. That was the highest level. 114 cases. That, that is the average uh, infection rate. 114 cases per 100,000 people, but only 82 in Florida per 100,000, 79 in Texas. And those states had far fewer restrictions and mandates. They reopened much earlier than California. Deaths peaked in California at 1.72 per 100,000, 1.7 versus 1.2 in Texas and 0.86 in Florida. Governor Gavin Newsom said that from the beginning, his decisions were going to follow the science. Does any of that sound familiar? It's the science and data. He's going to follow the science, but it's obvious he reopened on his terms, meaning Democratic blue state politics. Those were his terms, just like North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper. I just saw yesterday, I think it was last night, or maybe it was this morning, Massachusetts is now out from under its executive, uh, or sorry, its emergency declaration, or its ED. So North Carolina still has its ED in effect. It's true. We're behind Massachusetts now on the ED. We are. We're behind Massachusetts. They are now out from under their emergency declaration, as is Virginia, as is um, South Carolina, I believe, lifted theirs. Um, yeah, we're, we're behind a lot of other states. There are very, very few states left that are still operating under this emergency declaration. But Cooper is, and the reason he says he is, is in case he needs to grab back the power, but also money. He wants to gobble up as much money as possible from the feds, and he can't get that money apparently if we're not under an emergency declaration. House Majority Leader John Bell, Republican from Wayne County, along with the House Deputy Majority Whip Keith Kidwell, Republican from Beaufort, said Governor Cooper, or they sent Governor Cooper a letter uh, about a week ago calling on him to provide specific details on what metrics and data need to be met for his nearly 15 months long state of emergency to come to an end. By the way, Cooper was asked this. He was asked what 
metrics are needed for the uh, declaration of a state of emergency to be lifted, the ED. How do you how do you remove the ED? How do you get rid of the ED? And Cooper would not say. Refused to answer the question. The last time he was asked about it, he said he didn't want to discuss any of the uh, uh, the additional orders or the continuation of his executive order and his ED. He didn't want to discuss any of it because he was busy talking about the lottery, the vaccine lottery. That was the big rollout, the vaccine lottery. He didn't want to bigfoot his own message. So shut up, News and Observer reporter. I'm not answering any questions about the extension of my ED. So uh, we are left to just assume that uh, I guess the ED will fix itself at some point. I don't know. Uh, It'll just go away on its own, I wonder. Um, Yesterday, the South Carolina governor announced an end to COVID. There you go. So this was last week, the COVID-19 emergency. Virginia governor also uh, said... Uh, his would expire on June 30th. Um, do, 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 do Representatives Bell and Kidwell are primary sponsors of the Emergency Powers Accountability Act. Um, more on that in a minute. They've got this letter. I've got the text here. It says we're seeking additional information uh, on uh, your state of emergency declaration and the specific metrics and data that will be needed uh, uh, for it to end. North Carolina has now been under a self-declared state of emergency for more than 450 days. That's a long time for ED. That is, that's a long time. In response to a question about ending your emergency order during a June 2nd press conference, you said, quote, we are still in the middle of this pandemic and the state of emergency needs to continue. This is deeply concerning. Why? We'll get into that in a minute. First, it is deeply concerning if you don't have a good mattress because you're probably not waking up feeling refreshed, restored, and that means that your body is not able to recover and recuperate, and that actually has an impact on your health long-term, okay? So get yourself a great mattress uh, from some great people at Mattress Man, okay? Locally owned and operated, mattressmanstores.com, Mattress Man, four locations uh, in Arden, in Asheville, and in Hendersonville, and uh, you go on in there, and you ask them, hey, I want to see a Biltmore mattress, and they're like, here you go, and you're like, wow, I can't believe that price. They're like, yeah, I know, it's crazy. We get great deals over here. I mean, I'm just making up this conversation, but that's basically how it's going to go, okay? You can get a free box spring, by the way, when you buy a mattress from the Biltmore Collection, inspired by our very own local landmark. These are made by Restonic. By the way, they also have traditional inner spring mattresses, pocketed spring mattresses, Memory foam, pillow top, natural latex, hand tufted. You getting the idea here? They've got it all. Go to Mattress Man, five-star local delivery service, nationwide shipping, a 120-day comfort guarantee, and uh, you can get a mattress with Synchrony Finance, zero down, zero interest for up to 72 months for qualified applicants, tons of flexible financing options at Mattress Man. Go to mattressmanstores.com, buy local, and sleep better. So this letter from the North Carolina lawmakers to the governor say that uh, they're deeply concerned that the state of emergency, this uh, emergency declaration or the ED, as I call it for short, uh, that this continues. And they say it's deeply concerning. Vaccinations are widely available. Cases are at new lows. Capacity restrictions have been completely lifted, yet we're still in the, quote, middle of this pandemic. There seems to be no urgency or plan to end the state of emergency. We believe this is unsatisfactory. Across the country, governors are ending their states of emergencies, including South Carolina governor, 
uh, the Virginia governor, uh, the people of North Carolina have worked extremely hard to follow and adhere to social distancing guidelines and restrictions. They deserve more information and transparency in this process. We respectfully ask that you provide the legislature and the citizens of this great state with the specific details on how and when the state of emergency can be lifted. Thank you for your time and attention to this important issue. Now, there is a growing call among folks on the right for action by the Republican legislature. They are growing pretty frustrated and fed up with what they see as inaction among Republicans. They want... Uh, resistance. They do. They want, uh, I, I was going to say insurrection, but you can't say that now, nowadays. All right. They want there to be pushback. They want there to be objection, conscientious objector, checking out, going gold. They want there to be a fight from the Republicans. And the Republicans are running their bills, their Emergency Management Act revisions and stuff. And that's all important, sure. But what if Cooper vetoes? You don't have the votes to override the veto. Like this, you got kids that are still wearing freaking masks in school because of this guy. I do not have children. I don't know what I would do if I had a kid that was, you know, five years old, six years old, and he was required or she was required to wear a mask for still eight hours a day in school. Maybe that's why everybody's taking their kids out of school nowadays. (laughs) Now, now, um, I do think this is interesting because, um, well, on a couple fronts, number one, there's going to be a point where I think the uh, the press corps that has so far for the last 450 days has treated Governor Cooper as uh, the best of intentioned, you know, not at all drunk on power, uh, completely informed by the science and data and only working in the best interests of all of us. That has been the default um, approach that members of the media have taken with Governor Cooper. I don't suspect that that lasts much longer. Uh, sure, there are always going to be some that that will adopt that posture, no doubt. But I think there are going to be more and more reporters that start getting fed up with these questions not getting answered. When he when he refuses to say what what is the goal line, like that's a very simple question. What's the goal line? Why are you keeping all of these things in place? Like, are you just waiting for the CDC to change its guidance on the kids? So you're going to rely on the the guidance of the CDC for the mask mandate still? Or is this this an effort just to get us to July 4th? Because remember, a couple months ago, this was the deadline or the goal line that he was talking about. You know, maybe we can celebrate July 4th. And there was, of course, all this response like, it's Independence Day, pound sand, man. Uh, we're going to celebrate however we want to because, you know, that's freedom. Like, sorry, can't hear you over the sound of all my freedom. And that was the the pushback that he was getting back then. And so maybe that maybe that's the goal. Maybe he just wants to get to July 4th so he can, you know, say, like, we said we were going to get there and by golly, we got there. And now I'm going to lift everything just like I promised I would by July 4th. Maybe that's the play. I don't know. I don't think that juice is worth the squeeze on this. But you got to remember also. He's dealing with a left flank that is deathly afraid. Although maybe, maybe um, if John Stewart, formerly of The Daily Show, uh, maybe if John Stewart can make some more appearances, 
uh, and talk about how it's okay to walk around without masks if you're vaccinated and how it's okay uh, uh, to, you know, start living a normal life and you don't have to view everybody as if they are uh, vectors trying to infect and kill everybody. Like maybe Jon Stewart could do this. I don't know. Like, I, why do I say that? Jon Stewart appeared on, I don't even know what the name of that late show is. It, is it The Tonight Show? Is that what um, Stephen Colbert is the host of? Is that it? The Tonight Show? I forget. Or did he take over for Letterman? I don't care. Doesn't matter. Point is, he was on with Stephen Colbert, uh, who used to work with Jon Stewart, for Jon Stewart, I guess, at The Daily Show. Anyway, uh, before he got his own show, and then he got his uh, his nighttime gig as the, you know, the anti-Trump late night host. Oh, well, I guess that was every one of them. Anyway, Colbert has Jon Stewart on, uh, and I guess it was last night, and Jon Stewart is like hopping mad, and he delivers this... Uh, it kind of sounded like me, honestly. I think he may be listening to the podcast, but uh, he, he he delivered this kind of a rant about how, of course, it is obvious that the coronavirus came from a lab in Wuhan, China, right? <laughs> like, yes, it's obvious. And he's like going on and on about how the name of the lab, you know, <laughs> is the coronavirus research lab or whatever it was. And he was just hammering away at this point. And so uh, I've seen some folks on the right suggest that this is this is the way that you get the left to open up to the idea that maybe the lab leak theory is true, because heretofore there's been a lot of pushback on this idea as a credible theory. And it is a theory. Okay, I'm not trying to oversell like I don't know this to be true. It just seems pretty obvious that the evidence points in that direction. Okay, now uh, we we talked a couple of weeks ago about the quote smoking gun about this genetic sequence. There was like four, what was it four positively charged amino acids or something or yeah something like that all in a row and like you don't find that really in nature. Um, and so the more research that gets done on this stuff, the more it points in that direction. And if you're going by uh, I, I use this analogy a lot, the civil trial versus a criminal trial standard, right? Criminal trial is beyond a reasonable doubt. And when asked to define that, the court defines it as the doubt that a reasonable person might have, which is like, I've always objected to that. <laughs> when I've sat through, <laughs> I have sat through jury trials and the whenever they describe this law, this statute to the jury, it's like you shouldn't you shouldn't be able to describe a term using the words of the term. That's not allowed. That shouldn't be the case. Like, just like define what is a pizza. Well, a pizza is a thing that has all the properties of being a pizza. Like that that that's not that's not a description, right? So criminal uh, the criminal standard for guilt is beyond a reasonable doubt. The doubt that a reasonable person might have. But civil trial is different, right? Civil trial is just a preponderance of evidence. It's 50% plus one, right? However small that plus one is, whatever, you know, however minute that measurement unit is, it's just just enough to push you more towards one side or the other. That's it. That's all it takes. And that's where you rule. And I think that's where I come down on this. I apply the civil standard. I don't need this to be beyond a reasonable doubt. There can still be reasonable doubts in a civil proceeding, right? But the evidence, the preponderance of the evidence points to the lab leak theory, which you'll recall the Washington Post ripped Senator Tom Cotton over this um, lab leak theory. Uh, the newspaper 
uh, back in February of 2020, ran the headline, Tom Cotton keeps repeating a coronavirus conspiracy theory that's already been debunked. It wasn't debunked. Vanity Fair has just published a massive piece charting what went wrong with the lab leak theory and its acceptance among, quote, elite media and scientists. I'm going to get into that first. You need to get into general equipment rental, but you know this. If you need a piece of equipment or a tool for a job and you don't own that piece of equipment or the tool for the job, then go get it from general equipment rental. Now, if you need the tool and you're going to use it a lot, then it might make sense to purchase it. So they are your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. And so that they're going to tell you all of the different models, the differences between the brands and the series and the makes and the years and all of that. They know all of the details, all the specs. They can help you pick the right uh, tool for you and the job you're looking to do with it. Now, maybe you just need a piece of equipment or a tool for one time. Well, why buy it? You don't need to buy it. Just rent a tool and then bring it back to them. And they got great deals. By the way, you get 10% off your first rental. Go to General Equipment Rental. They are located in Weaverville at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. Uh, They're online at generalrents.com. And when you go in there, tell them you heard it here on the podcast. I would appreciate that. Generalrents.com. And think outside your toolbox. So Tom Cotton makes this uh, case for the lab leak theory over a year ago in February in the Washington Post. They're like, he keeps saying this wild conspiracy theory already debunked, right? They have now, the paper has now had to go back and issue a correction. Quote, earlier versions of this story and its headline inaccurately characterized comments by Senator Tom Cotton regarding the origins of the coronavirus. The term debunked and the Washington Post's use of conspiracy theory have been removed because then, as now, there was no determination about the origins of the virus. Oh, so you remove the term debunked and you remove the term conspiracy theory and you say that it's been removed because, just like originally, there's no determination about the origin of the virus. Okay, so you were wrong back then. That isn't even a correction. Like, that's... That, that, that's more than a correction, right? You, you need to explain why you would have used these terms that were obviously biased, right? You were shading your coverage. That's intentional. You chose those words. You framed the story like that. The new headline, by the way, says Tom Cotton keeps repeating a coronavirus fringe theory that scientists have disputed, right? But scientists have also disputed the zoonosis or zoonotic right, that it came from animals. Scientists also dispute that. Do you frame the zoonotic theory as disputed? Does that count as a fringe theory? No, it doesn't, not to the Washington Post. There has not been definitive proof that the virus leaked from a lab, but scientists also have not found definitive evidence showing the virus started in animals before naturally infecting humans. Facebook announced that it earlier this month that it had lifted its ban on content that speculated on the origin of the COVID-19 virus. Uh, this is why I was intrigued by a piece titled This is Life Under State Media. It's written by Matt Purple, the senior editor at TheAmericanConservative.com. He says elite media have been scoffing for months at the possibility that the coronavirus originated in a Chinese facility. 
By continuing to paper over that possibility, now they've effectively relegated themselves to water carriers for Beijing. Yeah, this is the, I think we uh, covered an article a couple months back about the China class, right? They, they, there's an entire class in America. This has to do with the 30 tyrants concept. I think it was Lee Smith's uh, piece at Tablet Magazine um, talking about the 30 tyrants who were basically uh, an installed government that was, uh, you know, loyal to the outsiders that had conquered this particular city. And so uh, this is what a lot of these people who are making a lot of money off of their relationship with China. Uh, this is why, you know, guys like LeBron James and Tim Cook at Apple, that's why they're like, no, no, don't don't criticize China. They're making so much money. They're, they're the China class. They're like the 30 tyrants, right? They're they're accepting power, prestige, influence, and or money from China. And so they are not interested in fighting back against it. And that's where a lot of media are now. And, and at some point, I mean, folks do have to make a call, I think, at some point. Like, is the American project, you know, free markets, uh, constitutional representative republic, are these things worth defending? Are you on board with these concepts and these ideals? And if you're not, fine. Um, then I guess continue carrying water for the communists. Um, Ian Burrell at Unheard documents further corruption at the leading scientific periodicals, saying that they slow-walked lab leak research and that one reason may have been Chinese funding. Outright censorship is rarely how media suppression works in modern America. How you do it is you bury it. You relegate it to page, you know, A21, and you freight it with disclaimers about right-wing conspiracy theorists. Didn't we just hear from the Washington Post's, quote, correction on this? And that's what's happening right now. You open to the front page of any legacy news publication, you turn on any newscast, and you're going to learn all about the G7 summit. Well, I mean, except Joe Biden's bizarre behavior. Um, you'll learn about infrastructure negotiations, all of the focus on the filibuster. You'll hear about the Capitol riots, the insurrection, vaccine rates, you know, but nothing about the biggest story in the world right now, perhaps the biggest story of our lifetimes. Consider this. China may have manufactured a virus that killed close to 4 million people, and then they covered it up. That's a possibility. I'm not saying that is what happened. I'm saying that is a possibility. And people seem not curious, uncurious about this. I wonder why. I also wonder why people, um, they don't use Rowena Patton when buying or selling a home. I, I cannot figure this out. I mean, she just outsells 99% of the realtors in the entire state. So if you're looking to sell a house, it seems like you should go with the person who knows how to do that very well. Um, she also is your official Homes for Heroes real estate agent in Asheville. It's a national program. Gives buyers and sellers 25% back from the realtor commissions. Uh, this goes to police officers and firefighters and healthcare professionals and educators and members of the military, so veterans, active duty, retirees. Um, she's given back $800,000 roughly to these people in these five professions. Uh, she also has homes in all price points. So if you are looking to buy, it's the same phone number, 828-333-4483. That's 828-333-4483. The website, mountainhomehunt.com, and then start packing. So this question of where the coronavirus began is really important because think of it in these terms from a geopolitical level, right? If what I just said is true, if the Chinese actually manufactured this thing in a lab 
And if it was released on purpose, and I'm not saying that, I'm just saying if that happened, if that was the case, if it turned out to be true, then what does that mean for our relationship with China, the global relationship with with China, right? Like, what happens to our diplomacy, Matt Purple asks in this piece, what happens to our diplomacy now that we know Beijing, at a bare minimum, lied early and often about COVID? What about a scientific establishment that appears corrupted by political correctness and groupthink, if not corrupted by the actual money flowing from China or corrupted by a desire to protect gain of function research in the kind of field that these people were all operating in? Like, what does all of that mean for the public trust? Chuck Todd from MSNBC. Oh, I'm sorry, NBC. He uh, he had Anthony Fauci on the other day. And uh, he starts lobbing a bunch of softballs at him and, you know, about, oh, my gosh, how crazy those right wingers are. Right. And that's when Fauci said, you know, you're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, but you're attacking the science. Like you're the science. One man is the science now. He says one and the same. Fauci is science that Chuck Todd had just been faced with the epidemiological equivalent of a dirty cop screaming, I am the law didn't even seem to phase Chuck Todd. He says, no, I'm not saying Chuck Todd had to karate kick Fauci in the teeth. And I agree that some of Fauci's critics have been overheated. But given all the revelations swirling around at present, um, imagine what an actual practicing journalist could have done with that interview. And what is state media, if not media, that protects agents of the state, right? That is what a state media does. He says, uh, those of us who wince at the yellow and screamo nature of some right wing media should be nonetheless grateful that it exists. Otherwise, we might have to wait another 20 years for the truth to actually ever come out. There is a piece at BizPack Review that is right of center, and uh, it's headlined virologist who emailed Fauci COVID-19 looked like it was engineered. That guy, Christian Anderson who I think made, didn't he sing children's songs or something? I th- Danny Kaye played him on Anyway, um, he deleted 5,000 tweets, and then he wiped his entire account. Why? Christian G. Anderson, the virologist who emailed Dr. Anthony Fauci and posited that COVID-19 had, quote, unusual features that, quote, potentially look engineered, deleted 5,000 tweets earlier this month, and then he deleted his entire Twitter account. I'll tell you what happened. Uh, first, I'm going to tell you about Old Grouch's military surplus. Tim, who owns Old Grouch's, his dad started the company up, and then when his dad passed away, Tim took it over. And he says it's only a matter of time before you're going to have some sort of a medical emergency at home or at work. Before anybody else arrives, you're the first responder. Being responsible as a parent or a business owner, that means you got to be prepared for emergencies. And he's got kits, emergency kits, that are the perfect way to be prepared. More than 350 components inside each and every kit so you can handle any kind of medical event from a minor scrape to a major cut or broken bone. These kits are made here in North Carolina. They come in durable, bright orange bags with reflector strips so they're easily identifiable, recognizable as a first aid kit, which is really important in a workplace setting so everybody can instantly see and locate right the first aid kit. 
That's really important. They're extremely popular with scout groups, he says, with sports teams and school groups, small business owners who want to be sure that they can take care of their employees and customers in case of any kind of an injury. All of the kits have room to expand as well, which is really important. Like people overlook this, but you ever buy one of these kits and you open it up and everything is like jam packed in and you know, it's never going back in the same way, right? If you ever take something out or maybe you pick up something and you're like, oh, hey, I'd like to add this to my kit and you can't because everything is like stuffed in there and there's no more room for anything. Uh, His kits actually have some room to add more stuff along the way if you want to. So uh, head on over to Old Grouch's Military Surplus, which of course has, yes, of course, tons of real high quality U.S military surplus he is in downtown clyde as he has been for more than three decades uh, it's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun the shop is open monday through saturday and 24 7 at oldgrouch.com that's oldgrouch.com so christian anderson the virologist a professor in the department of immunology and microbiology at the highly regarded scripps research institute he's a colleague of anthony fauci and He garnered attention as thousands of emails surfaced recently that mentioned him specifically, but he made even more headlines by apparently deleting his messages. Here's what he wrote in one of the emails to Fauci, quote, on a phylogenetic tree, the virus looks totally normal and the close clustering with bats suggest that bats serve as the reservoir. The unusual features of the virus make up a really small part of the genome. So one has to look really closely at all the sequences to see that some of the features potentially look engineered. That's the key. So you got to look really closely at all the sequences to see that some of the features potentially look engineered. So as people started asking Anderson about this on Twitter, he started deleting his tweets. (laughs) After he deleted uh, 5,000 tweets... He then said, quote, my old tweets auto deletes, which he is a poet and I did not even know it. That's my old tweets auto deletes, he says. But people on Twitter who use Twitter, such as me, uh, can tell you Twitter does not have that function. That is not something that Twitter does. They, They don't automatically delete your tweets. I mean, How else would all of these outrage archaeologists be able to find something to be offended about, you know, years in your past? You have to delete all your own tweets yourself. Or, I mean, maybe there is some sort of, you know, aftermarket add-on type of a program or an app that does this for you. That's possible. Um, But people weren't buying it. You delete 5,000 tweets and the date range was important. It was only about the the date range at the beginning of the pandemic for some reason. He deleted just within that window. And when people were calling him out on this, that's when he decided to delete his entire Twitter account. Right, which is not suspicious at all. Um, The email in question was part of a trove that was uncovered in a Freedom of Information Act request from BuzzFeed News. Uh, from January 31, 2020. Okay, so think back in terms of like that time frame. This is the very beginning of the pandemic, uh, end of January. And he says to Fauci, quote, we have a good team lined up to look very critically at this. So we should know much more by the end of the weekend. He also noted that following discussions with his team that they, quote, all find the genome inconsistent with expectations from evolutionary theory. That's important. 
all of the members of his team, all these people, they all looked at it and they were all like, yeah, this isn't consistent with evolutionary theory. Uh, but we have to look at this much more closely, he said, and there are still further analyses to be done, so those opinions could still change. And lo and behold, two months later, as it spreads across the globe, it did change. In a paper entitled Proximal Origin from March, so two months later, Anderson would go on to state the exact opposite. In Nature Ma uh, Medicine uh, magazine or publication where he claimed COVID-19 was not created in a lab or purposefully manipulated. Reportedly five months after this paper was published, he received $1.88 million from the Centers for Research in Emerging Infectious Diseases, funding that was doled out by the NIH. Again, this does not have to be beyond a reasonable doubt. This has to be preponderance of evidence. And this doesn't look good. Anderson said, look, we thought our preliminary look was that the virus could have been engineered and or manipulated, but it turns out the data just otherwise, which is the conclusion of our paper. He remarked to Newsweek last month that the lab leak theory was, quote, based purely on speculation and that he had not found any cre uh, credible evidence to support it. Now, that's interesting because, as I mentioned earlier, there is... The other scientists who published their paper a couple of uh, days ago now, I want to say, maybe a week or two ago, that said the sequence of the positively charged aminos, acids or whatever, like they don't, that's not naturally occurring. The idea that that would be naturally occurring uh, is kind of ridiculous. So, look, I get it. This is, by the way, when people talk about, you know, the science or capital S science. This is actually what science is. You have people with competing theories. They test them. They, uh, you know, they uh, cultivate evidence and such, and then they make their case. They try to prove, they try to replicate studies. And so this is all part of that process. So I get that. Um, but it doesn't look good when you change an opinion and then get a whole bunch of funding. Now, Vanity Fair, a couple of uh, weeks ago now, it's uh, well, yeah, less than two weeks ago, they published a massive story. And I've got it linked at the Patreon page. I'm going to go over some of the highlights, but it's like 15 pages. It's a massive write-up. Vanity Fair is hardly a conservative publication. This is not an alt-right, you know, uh, research project, okay? And when you read the piece, if you read the piece, you will see all sorts of, you know, digs at Donald Trump. You'll hear one or two that I've highlighted as well. Um, and so that's their perspective. They still are trying to blame Trump for all of this. But um, the lab leak theory was getting pushback for reasons that might not actually have been due to the science. There's a group called DRASTIC, D-R-A-S-T-I-C. It stands, it's an acronym, and I'll tell you what it means. Um, well, now let me jump ahead. I will jump ahead and say it is, do, 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 it stands for Decentralized Radical Autonomous Search Team Investigating COVID-19. Drastic. There's a, uh, so this, it starts off, there's a prevailing theory uh, at the time was that it had jumped from bats to some other species before making the leap to humans. And this all happened at the wet market in China, right? The problem so far is that they have never been able to identify that intermediate animal. They can't figure out how it went from the bats to the animal that we don't know to then humans. Don't know. That wasn't the only theory, though. Wuhan, 
is also home to China's foremost coronavirus research lab, housing one of the world's largest collections of bat samples and bat virus strains. Although I just saw a report, was it yesterday, that they actually had some live bats there too, not just samples. Wasn't just the blood work and such. No, they actually apparently had live bats. The Wuhan Institute of Virology's lead coronavirus researcher, this woman named Shi Zhengli, uh, the bat woman or bat lady, was among the first to identify horseshoe bats as the natural reservoirs for SARS-CoV, the virus that sparked an outbreak in 2002 that killed 774 people, uh, sickened more than 8,000 people globally. After SARS, bats became a major subject of study for virologists around the world, and she became known in China as Batwoman for her fearless exploration of their caves to collect samples. More recently, she and her colleagues at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, or the WIV, have performed high-profile experiments that made pathogens more infectious. Such research, known as gain-of-function, has generated heated controversy among virologists. To some people, it seemed natural to ask whether the virus causing the global pandemic had somehow leaked from one of the WIV's labs, the WIV's labs, a possibility that she has strenuously denied. On February 19th, The Lancet, among the most respected and influential medical journals in the world, published a statement that rejected the lab leak hypothesis, effectively casting it as a xenophobic cousin to climate change, denialism, and anti-vaxism. Signed by 27 scientists, the statement expressed solidarity with all scientists and health professionals in China, and it asserted, quote, We stand together to strongly condemn conspiracy theories suggesting that COVID-19 does not have a natural origin. Personal accountability here, I believed this. I saw that and I said, oh, well, these are experts, so I will defer to them. Seems like uh, that might have been polluted just a tad. Vanity Fair goes into that first. Let me get into a recommendation for uh, roofing. Okay. I understand inflation, cost of materials. I get it. But the roof is the most important part of your house. It really is. Okay. Well, well yes, I guess also your your. Um, your foundation too, right? But your roof protects everything inside the house. All your most valuable possessions and your family, right? It's all under that roof. So you want to protect it because if you don't, it undermines the structural integrity of the entire house. Now more than ever, you need to protect that. The investment that this is the largest investment most people ever make is their home. And so you need to protect this for the long term. So call my friends at Balkan Roofing, right? Give them a call. They'll come on out to the house. They'll take a look at the roof and they'll let you know. And they've told people before, by the way, like your roof is fine. You got, you know, five, 10 years left on it. It's no problem. Uh, Let us know if, you know, you see any, you know, leaking or anything like that. But they'll tell you if they don't need to do any work there. Now, some people, they get suckered in though, right? Chuck in a truck shows up and he's like, hey, I got a a ladder in my, in my flatbed here. And uh, uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll fix your roof and I'll do it for, you know, really, really cheap. And that's true. He'll do it for really cheap and you'll get a really cheap roof, in which case then you're going to need to call Balkan because they can come and fix it because they got a great repair team and they do this all the time. They fix problems that other roofers leave on your house. So give them a call 628-0390, 628-0390, 628-0390 or go to BalkanRoofing.com 
and check it out for yourself. Tell them you heard it here. I appreciate that. As always, support the businesses that support us. Locally owned and operated, family owned, Balkan Roofing, BalkanRoofing.com. So what that statement from The Lancet effectively did was it ended the debate over the origins before it even began. And to a fella named uh, Gilles Demanouf, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm going to call him Giles. Um, anyway, what he saw, though, sitting on the sidelines, this guy is uh, he's a data scientist with the Bank of New Zealand in Auckland. OK, but like this is what he does. He's on uh, he's on the spectrum. He says he's diagnosed Asperger's syndrome, but he says like he's very good at finding patterns in data. And so he starts following along from the sidelines and he says it was almost as if uh, that this pronouncement from Lancet had been nailed to the church doors, right? Establishing the natural origin theory as orthodoxy. He says everybody had to follow it. Everybody got intimidated and that set the tone. The statement struck him as, quote, totally unscientific. To him, it seemed to contain no evidence or information. And so he decided to begin his own inquiry in a proper way. So he soon discovers that there uh, have been four incidents of SARS-related lab breaches at this uh, WIV at the, at the Institute, and two occurring in a top lab in Beijing. And he then uh, hooks up with this uh, other armchair investigator, Rodolphe de Maistre, a lab project director based in Paris, uh, who had previously studied and worked in China. And he was busy debunking the notion that the Wuhan Institute of Virology was a lab at all. In fact, the WIV housed numerous labs that worked on coronaviruses. Only one of them was the highest biosafety protocol, the level four, where you got to wear like the whole pressurized suit and the mask and all of that stuff, right? Um, so now they start building sort of a coalition of researchers. This is where the term drastic comes from. They form this group drastic and they start posting their findings on Twitter. Since December 1st, 2019, the SARS virus, the coronavirus, has infected more than 170 million people, uh, killed more than three and a half million. And to this day, we don't know how or why it suddenly appeared in the human population. And answering that question, it's more than just an academic pursuit. Without knowing where it came from, we're not really sure if we're taking the right steps to prevent the recurrence. And yet, in the wake of that statement from The Lancet, and under the cloud of Donald Trump's toxic racism, which contributed to an alarming wave of anti-Asian violence. Yeah, so Donald Trump apparently inspired the uh, the wave of anti-Asian violence, mainly committed by black people, right, against Asians. That's, we're supposed to believe that. Okay. Uh, one possible answer to all, uh, to this all-important question remains largely off limits, at least until this spring. Behind closed doors, national security and public health experts and officials across a range of departments in the executive branch were locked in high-stakes battles over what could and could not be investigated and made public. This has been going on for a while. A months-long Vanity Fair investigation. They had 40 interviews with different people, review of hundreds of pages of documents, internal memos, meeting uh, minutes, email correspondence. They found that conflicts of interest stemming in part from large government grants supporting controversial virology research hampered U.S. investigations into COVID-19's origin at every step. In one State Department meeting, officials that were looking to demand transparency from the Chinese government, 
say that they were explicitly told by colleagues not to explore the Wuhan Institute of Virology's gain-of-function research because it would bring unwelcome attention to U.S. government funding of it. They said it would, quote, open a can of worms if you looked into that. That seems important. Dr. Richard Ebright, Board of Governors Professor of Chemistry and Chemical uh, Biology at Rutgers University, said that from the very first reports of a brand new bat-related coronavirus outbreak in Wuhan, it took him about a nanosecond to consider a link to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Why? Only two other labs in the world were doing similar research. It's not like a dozen cities, he says. It's three places. Wuhan, Galveston, Texas, and Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Then came the revelation that the Lancet statement was not only signed, but organized by a zoologist named Peter Dejak, who has repackaged U.S. government grants and allocated them to facilities conducting gain-of-function research, among them the WIV. David Asher, now a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, he ran the State Department's day-to-day COVID-19 origins inquiry. He said it soon became very clear that, quote, there is a huge gain-of-function bureaucracy inside the federal government. On December 9th, 2020, so about seven months ago, about a dozen State Department employees from four different bureaus gathered in a conference room in Foggy Bottom to discuss an an upcoming fact-finding mission, uh, mission to Wuhan. This was the World Health Organization trip, right? The group had recently acquired classified intel that three WIV researchers conducting gain-of-function experiments had gotten sick in the fall of 2019. They went to the hospital and that the, the, so that was probably the beginning of the outbreak. As officials at the meeting discussed what they should share with the public, they were advised by Christopher Park, the director of the State Department's biological policy staff in the Bureau of International Security and Nonproliferation. This guy said, don't say anything that would point to the U.S. government's own role in gain-of-function research. That's a pretty big deal, don't you think? Again, these are just like the highlights I'm pulling... I'm only on page four of 15, and I'm just pulling some of the random highlights here. Well, I mean, they're not random. Uh, I have read this. Um, They talk about the doctor in China that started raising the red flags, and then he was silenced, and then he uh, caught COVID and died um, before he recanted. Uh, saying, oh, no, no, I, I, you know, I, I totally made all of that up, the government says. Uh, on April 30th, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence then puts out an ambiguous statement whose apparent goal was to suppress a growing furor uh, around the lab leak theory. Then the bomb thrower in chief weighed in at a press conference hours later. Trump contradicted his own intelligence officials and claimed that he had seen classified information indicating the virus had come from the Wuhan Institute. uh, But he said he's not allowed to say uh, what intel he has seen. Trump's premature statement poisoned the waters for anyone seeking an honest answer to the question of where COVID-19 came from. Isn't that interesting? This is I call this the. Um. Uh, the Forrest Gump effect. Remember the scene in Forrest Gump after Forrest Gump uh, meets up with Jenny at the reflecting pool uh, in Washington, D.C., at the big protest, right? And uh, then they go afterwards to the Black Panther Party, and he sees Jenny's boyfriend hit her, and he just loses it, and he 
like, you know, punches the guy and gets on top of him. You know, Sorry, I ruined your Black Panther party. Then the next day, though, right, when he's seeing her off, um, they're at the bus and the abusive boyfriend is standing there. Right. And he's like, you know, oh, you know, you know, I love you, babe. And then he's like, it's just, you know, that it's just this war and that SOB Johnson. Right. There's always a reason. There's always a reason for the abuser to behave as they do in their mind. There's always this reason. It's not their fault. That's what this is. This is the Gump effect. This guy, I guess I should probably find out the character's name because it's not really Forrest Gump that did it. It's not fair. I shouldn't tag Forrest Gump as the abuser. But we all know, you know, Jenny was the abuser in that relationship with him. She was the victim in the relationship with the abusive boyfriend. But um, yeah, like you're blaming Donald Trump for your inability to see past Donald Trump. Like, your bias, you were blinded by rage, your animus towards Donald Trump, and you missed the biggest story of your lifetime. So by this point, the guy, Giles Dumanoff and the Drastic folks, Giles is spending, you know, four hours a day doing this research. They're on Zoom meetings. He says he started getting anonymous calls and he started noticing strange activity on his computer, which he attributed to Chinese government surveillance. He said, we are being monitored for sure. So he moved his work to the encrypted platform Signal and ProtonMail. Is that the actions of a government that is interested in getting to the bottom of what happened. See, guys, there's a reason why it looks like China is trying to cover up some sort of bad actions. There's a reason. It's a totally believable explanation for why it looks like this. It's because that's what's happening. Occam's razor. It is the most obvious explanation. It looks like they're trying to cover up all of their actions because they are, in fact, trying to cover up all of their actions. That's the explanation. That's a wrap for the episode, too. I appreciate you listening. By the way, please check out the Vanity Fair article. It is massive, uh, well worth your time. And also, please subscribe to the program. I appreciate that. ThePeteCallanerShow.com and think about becoming a patron. We'll talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.